Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Till the Blood Runs Clear. Episode 11 of Season 1 of Farscape. You got weird racist Native American stereotypes in my sexism. You got sexism in my weird racist Native American stereotypes. What is with this episode? Yeah, I usually skip this episode. It's not like an episode I hate, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And yeah, the Volcarian blood trackers aren't the greatest. Okay, and also... What's with the editing and music in this episode? The music sounds like an 80s action movie. Like, I know you said it sounds like fill-in music. I think it sounds like music you get for free on your computer. It felt to me like they were going for, like, a Mad Max feel. I know from reading the the behind-the-scenes stuff that they were really excited about being out in the desert for this shoot. Mm. So I feel like they were probably trying to evoke a certain sense also i do want to say about the native american stereotype that this is an australian show Mm -hmm. so i read a thing from the costumer Mm -hmm. and she said she was trying to do like an old west thing i guess the native american thing makes more sense in terms of this being an old west homage episode the whole thing just feels really uncomfortable also the feral trackers is not a great stereotype to then combine with that it's it took me a little while into the episode to be like is this supposed to be a native american thing i i so what i'm saying is i don't think that was intentional but that doesn't make it Okay. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't make it less uncomfortable. I'm just putting out there that I don't think that that was what they were trying to evoke. On the plus side, this isn't really a Dargo episode, despite the name. I know, when you saw Till the Blood Runs Clear, I know you were like, oh god, more Dargo. Which, I honestly don't know why this episode is called Till the Blood Runs Clear. Because it's not, I mean, it comes up in the episode, but it's not like a major plot thing or anything. I think it's more of like... The metaphorical thing of fighting until the toxicity is gone. I don't really think that applies to this episode either. That was just my thought. Because that's that's what, you know, till the blood runs clear means. If anyone's tuning into just this episode. That's a thing with Luxons that John will explain in the episode. When they're in battle, they bleed clear. But if they're bleeding from something other than, you know, fighting... Their blood comes out black and it's toxic to them and they die from it. So their wounds are more healable if they're fighting. Their biology literally makes them a a warrior race. Yeah. (laughs) I know you don't care for Dargo. But another thing. Accurate statement. Another thing I was reading from the behind the scenes stuff about this episode was that they were really trying to have a turning point for Dargo with this episode where. He wasn't just the grouchy guy who went around trying to kill people when he was horny. And they're actually trying to, like, give him a reason that he could come around to actually being civil with the rest of the crew so they could integrate him into the show. Boy, did that not work. They just, they, they just established it in this episode. Okay, boy, did that, that not work in this episode. He comes off like both an idiot and an asshole. 
oh, now I'll decide to work with you? John's been consistently saving his ass for what has to be months in universe by this point, but oh, this one mission, I suddenly decide it's time for me to trust you? Yeah, because this is the episode where John finally stands up for himself when it comes to that. Which he's done so many times before. No, 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 no. See, this is the thing. I feel like in the past, and I'm not blaming John for any of this. You're right. Dargo's been an asshole up to this point. But I think up to this point, John's response has been, well, I'm just going to keep being my helpful, jovial self, and he'll snap out of it when he gets to know me. And in this episode, he was like, Dargo? What is your damage? And Dargo was like, oh, a confrontation, something that I understand. Now we can have a conversation about my damage and move past it. It just, it feels like they've done this before. This is like too soon in the show to feel like they've already done this so many times before. He had that conversation with Zan about Dargo where Zan's like, you need to approach him as a warrior. And that was a while ago. This is the first time he's actually done that, though. Is it? Yeah. He's Beat the shit out of Dargo on multiple occasions. Yes, but only ever when Dargo was stoned. Or horniness high. I, I fuck. I hate Dargo. Dargo is the worst character on this show. It would be Rigel, except for they seem to have realized that nobody likes Rigel. They realize that Rigel is best in small doses. But God, fucking Dargo. Well, this episode was directed by Tony Tilze. Mm-hmm. who also directed PK Tech Girl and yeah. several other future episodes of Farscape that we'll get to. P- uh, PK Tech Girl was also kind of an homage to 80s movies. It was, and we also talked about the way the music was weird in that episode because, again, it was like really guitar-heavy 80s action movie music. So huh. maybe that's just something he likes. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and this episode was written by Douglas Hayes Jr., Mm-hmm. who also wrote the upcoming episode of Farscape, Jeremiah Crichton, and A Bug's Life. None of these episodes of those three are my favorite episodes, so yeah. he's fine. You ready to get into it? I am ready to get into it. So, John has rejiggered. is it Aaron's ship, or is it his ship? No, no, it's his module. It's the Farscape one. Yes. But he's added, like, Moya parts to it to get it to go better. Because he's going to try some wormhole stuff yeah they're at a planet that's having solar flares and if you'll remember way way back to the pilot the pilot the farscape one was originally created to measure solar flares and take information from solar flares and that's when it opened the wormhole so john's trying to recreate the conditions for opening a wormhole Hmm. so he and aaron are out in the farscape one on this planet that's having solar flares and Conveniently, solar flares make it difficult to communicate with the ship, which I'm okay with. I know you're like, oh no, something's wrong with the ship. But listen, solar flares interfering with communication is a time-honored sci-fi, and I think real, condition. I actually wasn't going to say that. I I was going to uh, go instead to that episode of Bob's Burgers where, you know, each of the kids has a play that's themed on a different thing for Mother's Day. Yeah. And Tina's is a uh, alien. Yeah. Except uh, she ends up incorporating Freaky Friday into it. Uh-huh. At the beginning, she's establishing that it's alien. And then she's like, oh, and also there's a scientific al- anomaly that might make strange things happen. <laughs> that's sort of the feel I got from Solar Flare. But I, I do think Solar Flares are a thing in real life that do interfere with electro 
magnetic communications or whatever. So yeah, I actually have no problem with it in this case. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad. It's much less of a cheat than you would normally see. Yes. Also, we learn... Not only do solar flares mess with communications, they also make Xan orgasm. Uh, she actually calls it a photogasm. Ugh. Yes. Yes, we learn in this episode that Xan is sensitive to light, to the point of distraction. We do not yet learn why, which is that she's a plant, but we do learn that she really, really likes it. She's like, oh, this is... This is some good radiation. Pilot's like, um, we should move out of the radiation. And she says, why? The ship can handle this much radiation. And Pilot points out that the baby ship that's being grown inside of their ship might not be able to handle it. Because this is just one of those, oh, you can't do anything fun when you're pregnant. Like, orgasm off of sunlight. (laughs) I was about to say, yeah, it makes sense. I I don't think you're allowed to use tanning beds if you're pregnant. I know, there's a lot of shit you're not allowed to do when you're pregnant. Believe me, I know. Uh, Just went straight to the uh, Rick and Steve bit where uh, they're watching, there's a commercial for an abortion clinic where this uh, woman wants to go on a horse riding skydiving uh, thing. It's hor- horses jumping out of planes with parachutes, oh but she God. can't get, but she can't do it because she's pregnant. It's kind of a dark show. That is a dark joke. God, I, I, I just, I don't want to get into the like what you can, can't do when you're pregnant. But you know which one really hurt? Sushi. Sushi and soft cheeses. Mm. No brie when you're pregnant. Oh, oh. Also, I was really craving tuna fish the whole time I was pregnant, and then of course. And now that I am no longer pregnant, I'm like, eh, whatever, I'm fine. Yeah, you've, you've been sitting on that tuna casserole for a while. It's just your body being a dick. It's like, oh, give me this thing you can't have. And then you're when you're like, okay, we can have it. Now your body's like, well, no, I don't want it. Well, it's the touching your face thing. You don't think about touching your face until you can't do it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Stay safe. Farscape. So John is recording the data with... A little dictaphone, which I just bring up because I, I love, like, this old analog technology, but it makes sense. I'm pretty sure NASA still uses analog technology for various reasons. But when Aaron realizes that he's trying to recreate the same conditions that opened the wormhole, and she realizes that he's trying to open a wormhole right now, she's like, um, I'm in the module! Not cool, dude! Which kind of raises the question, why did he alter the ship to make it a two-person? You know, okay, so we will see John and Aaron both in the module. And we see John and Aaron both in Aaron's Prowler. Mm -hmm. But I don't think any of those ships are designed for two people. I think they're both just squeezed in on both the ships when we see both of them in there. I feel like the question of why stands, though. Well, no, I'm saying I I don't think he modified it for two people. I think Aaron just squeezed in there. Why? She's a better pilot. Also, he's not wearing the spacesuit he was wearing when he was wearing it when he was in this ship before. I guess probably the Moya additions made it so that he doesn't need, you know. A spacesuit? Yeah. He is wearing a spacesuit that he got on the Leviathan, though. He's wearing, like, a black spacesuit. Mm. 
So his eyes kind of unfocus as he starts flashing back to the wormhole. Yeah, well, he's staring in. He he does, in fact, create a wormhole, but it's an unstable wormhole. Mm. But then he has flashbacks so that we remember that he's an astronaut from Earth. But then we go right into credits, which tell us he's an astronaut from Earth who got shot through a wormhole. Strange alien creatures were revealed to me when I held aloft my mighty spaceship and said, For the honor of Moya. Yes, exactly. I don't know. I've been on a we. If if you've read my Twitter, you know I've been on a weird He-Man kick the last few Week or days. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know what that. You're not about. even rewatching it. It's just like it's playing in your brain. I I don't know. I don't know. It's like I have this one friend who will periodically tweet a bunch of Simpsons or Farscape stuff, but from the rate that he tweets them and the references that he's tweeting out, I can tell I'm like, oh, he's marathoning season three right now. Yeah. But you're, this is just coming out of your brain. Should I actually watch He-Man to justify filling up my timeline with this stuff? No, you got to watch Magicians and catch up to where I am. Okay. There's a lot of stuff going on in Magicians that I want to talk about. So, meanwhile, Aaron is not huge on going into a space butthole. Okay, I... I mean, they do talk about this, but I feel like not enough. This was a real dick move on Crichton's part, right? Yeah. Like, if it had been stable, was he just going to take her through there? And then, sorry, Aaron, it's not like you have a home. You're stuck on Earth now with all these monkeys that don't have space travel. Well, to be fair, he won't have to deal with her for long because, you know, she doesn't have an immune system set up for Earth. I think she'd have been okay. Also, I think Aaron would end up going to jail almost immediately. No, that is true. So, John's ship was injured by, like, cresting the lips of the wormhole, so they're going Sounds to- Sounds so dirty. <laughs> yeah. It's... I mean, that's what happened. You're right. But... but it's not great. Nope, nope. So, he's going to need to go to a nearby planet to get repairs done on his- Earth ship. Right. So he wants Moya to pull him in so that he can repair the ship. But Moya won't because with all of the radiation and with the fact that the ship is leaking plasma from, you know, skipping across the lips of the wormhole, Pilot is worried about the baby. And Moya is worried about the baby. And inside of Moya, Zan is rubbing herself on everything. She's like... God, the light. <laughs> Zan is like a college freshman on ecstasy for the first time. It's annoying, honestly. Like a college freshman on ecstasy for the first time. My clothes are so soft. And Dargo, your face tentacles are so tentacly. Wait, wait, you guys. <laughs> How do you know that what you see as blue isn't just me naked? <laughs> and then Rigel disgustingly is like, I'll get a mop and bucket. Anyway, the point is, they can't pull the Farscape one onto Moya. Aaron, and this was the spacesuit thing you were talking about, Aaron tells John to put on his helmet so they can just eject into space and get pulled onto Moya. But for obvious reasons, John does not want to ditch his module. It's literally the only way he can get home. So he's going to land on the planet and find a person to repair the ship on the planet. Importantly, the ship, his ship, has all of the data he has about wormholes in it. That's true, too. Yeah. Might be important later in the episode. It's weird that he didn't 
back that up at all. I mean, like... I know, like, he sh- he he's been on Moya for, like, 11 weeks, and she's literally just, like, a giant repository of space information. He definitely should have put that into her databanks. You know, this is what happens when you don't back up your system. Seriously. So, John and Aaron land on the planet, and they go looking for... Furlough. Oh, I was going to say they go looking for Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru. Yeah, and I mean, this was not by accident that it has a very first half of A New Hope feel. Yeah, like, they're very much going to the Haji station to get some power converters. I mean, when when they go in to the repair shop, like, when they go from the desert to Furlough's repair shop, the director in the behind-the-scenes stuff specifically referenced Moe's Isley's Cantina and said it was supposed to feel like you're walking through into that, which itself is kind of a Wizard of Oz moment, which we've talked about this show... Being a Wizard of Oz... Show. Yeah. So... When John goes into the repair shop, Furlow, who is a pretty awesome character... Okay, this episode is basically... But, I mean, it's not terrible or anything. There have been worse episodes of Farscape. But... It's a pretty mediocre episode. I fucking love Furlough. I'm disappointed she's not a reoccurring character. Yeah, I mean, okay, so first of all, everyone knows that on a space show, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but this is kind of a weakness in Farscape. There's not really a mechanic. There's not a mechanic character. Everyone knows that in a space show, the mechanic is the best character. Everyone loves Kaylee. Uh, Everyone loves Scotty. Everyone loves Jordy. Mm. Like, mechanics! Yeah. Anyway, Furlough is this... She's this kind of gruff, heavy space mechanic lady. I love her. Yeah. She's got a kind of... Would you say soft butch aesthetic? Yes, thank you. That's exactly what she is. Yeah. And um, amazingly, uh, this part was... When it was written, it was... A male mechanic, basically just by default. Hmm. But then they love this actress and we're like, oh, she is furlough. Does the actress come back at least? No, sorry. Wow. It's it's such a waste. It really is. So she's talking about how the, she's like, look, it's obvious that you're very attached to the ship, which is nice. It's good to have an emotional attachment to stuff, but it's a piece of crap. Like, I can get you a better ship. can take this off your hands. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, I mean, she recognizes that this ship is basically a piece of garbage that was flung into the air by a non-spacefaring race. Yeah, like, she points out, like, this is basically what John has done is he's taken a shopping cart that he put an electric motor on into a car repair store. Yes, that is exactly what's happening. And and Furlow is behaving exactly as you would expect a mechanic to behave under those circumstances, except that she's also kind of fascinated by it. So she's like, well, just sell it to me and I will give you a much better ship. Yeah, she's not being mean about it, but she's like, this isn't a real spaceship. Come on. <laughs> right. She tells John that she'll get it repaired, but he also finds out that the solar flares are set to end today and they come around every 4.8 years, which every means... Every 4.8 cycles. Yes, of course. Which means he needs to get this ship fixed right now if he's going to get up there and get any more information about solar flares. 
Because he's like, that's five years, which... Yeah, sure. About. And I do like that Frollo, she knows what's up. She's like, oh, really? You're measuring solar flares and not wormholes. The theoretical phenomena that I feel like just happened above our planet right before you crashed. And he's like, what? No, no, solar flares. And she's like, all right. Well, it's going to take me several days to fix the ship with the information I have right now. So I'm going to, so if if you want me to fix your ship, you're going to have to let me work on that. There's a scene later where Aaron is hounding her to get the ship done. And Aaron asks how much longer it's going to take. And Furlough tells her half as long if you're not standing here over my shoulder. <laughs> so Frollo gives them these big, thick goggles so that they can be outside in the solar flares without going blind. Because I guess much like an eclipse, you don't want to look directly at a solar flare. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. And gives them a ridiculous look for the rest of this episode. I do like it, though. Like, it's a little thing, but I do like it. Okay, I, I don't know about Aaron because alien, but God, John should be worried about getting sunburned. Oh, right? Yeah, like, how do they even deal with that? I mean, we already addressed him trying to find toothpaste and being freaked out that he couldn't find any toothpaste. The dentic. Yeah. I wonder if it even occurred to him to ask, you know, for sunblock before he came down to this desert planet. Probably not, because he wasn't planning on coming down here. Yeah. So, John doesn't seem to realize how fucking pissed Aaron is about the whole nearly being dragged into a wormhole thing. Yeah, and he's like, don't you want me to make a wormhole so I can get away from you? And it's like, yeah, she does. She doesn't want you to take her with you. Do you not get how the away thing works? But this argument is interrupted by a hologram projection of Crace. Yeah, Captain Bylar Crace. He's looking for three escaped prisoners. Yeah, and I mean, in keeping with, as I said, they wanted this to have like an Old West feel. This is essentially them going into a desert town that they don't know and there being a wanted poster. Although in this case, the wanted poster is asking for the return of Dargo, Zan, and Rigel. The false king Rigel. Yes. Crace is not asking for John because he wants to kill John himself. And for some reason, he's not asking for Aaron, although Aaron mm. thinks she might know why, and he immediately just, like, yanks out the beacon and takes it with her. And then we get introduced to the trackers. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Vorkarian blood trackers, Rorf and Rorg. Don't love it. Don't just, don't love it. Yeah. As you say, their outfits are kind of... Hollywood Johnny Native American. Depp in the Lone Ranger. Oh God, yes, that is exactly. Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, Rorf, who John calls Worf. Uh, it is kind of a fun moment because you know the guy's like, "My name is Rorf," and John's like, "Worf," <laughs> right? <laughs> like it, it's a fun kind of in nod moment. It's it's one of the non-annoying John is obsessed with pop culture things because that's what you would say. You'd be like, that's a little too close. Yeah. Yeah. But Aaron, Aaron's like, hey, assholes, get out of my face. And 
And then we discover that this is one of those alien races that calls women females. Ugh, barf. And the male one, Rorf. Mm-hmm. Rorf is like, is this your female? And Aaron's like, I belong to no man. And then the female tracker, like, starts biting her face. Yeah, and so then John has to be like, yes, has to be. John is like, that is my female. Take your hands off her. And also, now I'm going to get all aggressive with you. He starts doing this. God, is this not a fun... He starts alphaing Rorf. Yeah, yeah. So he he explains to Aaron later what he's doing, but we'll talk about it now. He's going full red pill here. Well, he said, yeah, it really is. He he said he realized that they were, you know, behaving like his father's Dobermans. So he realized that he needed to be the alpha of the pack. And it's like, hey, John, guess what? That's not real. It's it's not real. And the guy who studied wolves and wrote that book was like, oops, wait, that's not how wolves actually act. I was wrong. But here we are. He literally wrote a book immediately after the book about, you know, the whole alpha wolf thing. He's like, oh, wait, it turns out this is only how wolves act if you capture a bunch of random wolves and stick them in a cage together. That doesn't reflect their, you know, real patterns out in the wild. This isn't how wolf packs actually function. Also, what, we, what we're calling a wolf pack right now is usually just a family unit. Like, wolves don't form, like, packs with an alpha male and a beta. It's just family units. Okay, it's weird that this is what John went to immediately with just random aggressive people that he's dealing with. He's like, oh, they must be like dogs. Well, he's dealt with aggressive people in many other episodes, and he's never done this before. Yeah, what makes them susceptible to this weird and wrong idea about wolves, unlike, say, Dargo or Aaron? Like, there are a lot of people who come from warrior race. Yeah. This is a stupid leap in logic, and it's even worse that it's correct. That exactly summarizes it. Yeah. Yeah. But John convinces them that he and Aaron are rival bounty hunters named Butch and Sundance. Wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back on board, Dargo and Rigel are talking about how gross and weird it is that Xan is horny and rubbing herself up against everything. Okay, well, also, she's disappeared now, and Pilot tells them that she's up on the terrace sunning herself, and we get a shot that is the shot from Buffy where you just see her hand reach out and crush the pitcher. You just see Zan's hand reach out and, like, curl up in ecstasy around her discarded robe. And she's like, let's just stay here forever. So, Dargo's gonna go yell at Zan until she's helpful, but Rigel's like, uh, yeah, no, don't do that. Like, seriously. seriously. She's, she's naked. You might accidentally walk in on her naked. Oh, no. We've never seen Zan naked before. Right? And Dargo's like, well, I have to do something, so otherwise I won't be in this episode. So I'm gonna go down on the planet and round up Aaron and John. I mean, he's right. He has to do something or he won't be in the episode. Yeah, uh, point. There's no reason for him to be a part of this plot. And honestly, he just makes things more difficult for John and Aaron. Boy, that's a change. They're down on the planet right now talking with the blood trackers who tell John and Aaron that based on the pattern of where 
the Leviathan has been going. They think this is the next planet that the crew is going to hit, which tells me that they need to be moving a little more randomly. Yes. So John keeps them in line by harsh talking and waving a stick that's on fire in their face. Well, they're eating. They're like cooking food over a fire. Yeah. Yeah. So he waves the, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not great. But he also tells them that he knows about Luxans and Hynerians and and Delvians, and they don't, so they need him, and that they should all work together and split the bounty. And they're like, oh, we don't know about that. He yells at them some more, and then they're like, oh, okay. How are they good at their jobs at all? They figured out what planet Moya was going to land on. Yeah, but, like, what if Dargo yells at them? Then they'll have no choice but to do what he says. It's a strong, strong point. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I'm reading, I've been reading Ella Enchanted, but... So so, so you're particularly sensitive to people just doing something just because someone told them to? I feel like that limits what careers one can have. And it does seem like Bounty Hunter would be out. Yeah, yeah. So the blood trackers go looking for, you know, the fugitives, leaving John and Aaron alone. John and Aaron, of course, assuming that since no none of the crew would be stupid enough to come down to this planet for no reason, there's no reason to, like, worry about them actually finding Targo or Xan or Rigel. Yeah. Yeah. So what's weird here is this is where they have the conversation where John talks about alpha males. Yeah. And even though this was successful even though his ploy worked Aaron is as disgusted as we are by it which tells me that the show was at least a little aware of how annoying it was and yet here we are here we are I do kind of like how John was like I thought you'd have more objections to me doing this and she's like I don't want to talk to them I don't want to deal with them they're only reacting to you that's fine (laughs) Aaron's like you do your subplot Meanwhile, I'm going to find the hidden message inside of this beacon, which is in fact there. Yes, there's a hidden message for Aaron that's like, hey, so I know you're like a giant, giant traitor, but if you turn in the prisoners and John, then you'll get a hero's retirement. An honorable discharge. An honorable discharge, and you won't have to be, you know, a fugitive anymore. Yep. You have my oath as a peacekeeper. Well, yeah, we, we've we been watching this show long enough. We know what that's worth, which mm. is actually exactly what John says. <laughs> and Aaron's like, hmm. Yeah, she's, she, looks, she looks like she's thinking about it. Also, I just have to throw this out here. What's going on with Aaron's hair in this episode? Because it looks to me, and I know this can't be right. I know this must just be like, we don't have high enough quality screen or something. But it looks to me like she's wearing a scrunchie. Oh, God. Yeah, she she has this very odd valley girl hair Like, thing she's got up. an up ponytail. Yeah, she has an up ponytail. She looks like she should be in a jazzercise video or something. Maybe this is just more of that, like, 80s movie aesthetic they were going for. Quickly, John, you must use the boombox. Right? Oh, So Dargo comes down to the planet because it's the worst thing he could do. <laughs> Although Dargo actually has a mask to protect him from solar flares, so Mm. he's more prepared than John was. And I know John didn't plan on landing on the planet, but you should be prepared to have to when you're circling one. I'm just going to throw that out there. 
Also throwing it out there that they shot this actually in a desert and how torturous it would be to wear either the outfits that the blood trackers are wearing or all of the prosthetics that Dargo wears. I am just having a lot of sympathy for these actors right now. Oh, yeah. I don't like being hot, so I'm just like, you poor, poor dears. So Dargo is wandering the desert. For 40 years. For God. And yes, so Dargo's out wandering the desert for lo these many years. The trackers are out in the desert, and somebody in what has to be a modified golf cart is also buzzing around the desert. Yeah, no, you're right. That is a modified golf cart. Well, the trackers smelled Dargo Mm. as soon as he landed. So do they have, like, scent profiles for the prisoners for this sort of bounty hunting? Yeah, I assume they must. And and the they actually do have, like, a highly attuned sense of smell, so that's, like, their thing. It seems like that would be of limited use if you were tracking someone across the universe. Yeah, probably. Like, d- you're, you're, you're right. It would. You're right. Their skills would have been completely useless if Dargo had stayed on the ship. Yeah, good point. Well, oh. may- maybe they have a smelloscope. There you go. But yeah, also there's another bounty hunter who's dressed in the same kind of full covering desert gear that the rest of the locals are dressed in. Okay, so thank God someone is professional on this planet. They're like, hmm, how are the locals dressed? Maybe that's how I should dress to blend in. Oh, I just assumed it was a local bounty hunter. I mean, it could also be that. Although, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that you're right, only because later on, Frollo's not gonna recognize this person, so. Hmm. So, Dargo is still wandering in the desert, And over another dune, the blood trackers have tracked him down, but he has gaze detection. (laughs) I mean, all all people have gaze detection. I was just reading about it. Mm. Where, like, you can sense when someone's looking at you. Yeah. So he comes up behind the one blood tracker, but then as he is like, all right, I caught you. Tag, you're it. The other blood tracker sneaks up behind him. Clever girl. And then he gets tased. Yeah. That happens a lot in this show. I'm just trying to figure out in an open desert like they're in. How did they keep on popping up from behind each other? Yeah. But you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. We're going to move on. We're back in Furlough's ship now. And she's still trying to buy this thing off John. She's like, I could sell this to like a weird collector tomorrow if you wanted to sell this thing to me. I do like that she's genuinely impressed by it, not because it's an impressive piece of equipment, but because it's so fucking weird. Yeah. But she also tells him that it is way, way more busted than she thought it was. So. You know, it's going to take her a long time to fix it, but, you know, hey... Some of the parts in it seem almost like this ship's been through a wormhole. Yep, she is pushing John to tell her about the wormholes. Um, shadows of what this show is going to be, by the way. It's all about the cones. It is all about the cones. That's a uh, Parks and Rec reference? Yes. The Cones of Dunspire, the fake... D&D-esque game that Ben Wyatt creates. I think it's more like Settlers of Catan. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Except way, way, way more complicated. Mm. Yeah, um, for those of you who have watched Farscape already, you know, and for those of you who have not, basically 
the wormhole technology that John possesses will become the giant uh, MacGuffin propelling this plot forward. Hmm. Weird that they didn't bring uh, Ferrello back then. It is weird. I have to assume that they couldn't get this actress back because there are future episodes where they do like a bringing back one-off characters. There's multiple future episodes where they bring back one-off characters to kind of like do a thing mm-hmm. and never her. So I have to assume that they couldn't get the actress or else they would have been furlough. Yeah. But yes, she is super interested in wormhole technology. God, I love her mannerisms. Like she's smoking this giant cigar through the whole scene. Like this actress is so good. Yeah, yeah. So John takes a peek outside because he's sick of getting the third degree from furlough and wah wah, it's Dargo and he's been captured. Oh my God, Dargo. So then John comes out and he's like, okay, let's do this. And he comes out and he does his alpha posturing again and is like, great, you caught him. Let me take him and then you can go look for the other two. And Dargo's like, how fucking dare you? I can't believe you'd betray me after all this time. I'm like, Targo, you're so dumb. Do they not have, like, lying on your planet? Is this a Drax situation? Okay, wait, wait. To be fair, they don't. We established in a prior episode, remember, that... Luxons don't lie to opponents. Oh, right. So this is like a foreign concept to him. Trickery is a foreign concept to him. Actually, it kind of makes sense that someone on a planet where you don't deceive your enemies would have problems with John, who's fundamentally a bard. Like, trickery is his main thing. So it makes sense that it would take them a while to get to a friendly place. It also reminds me of the worst parts of the character Darius from Piers Anthony's Mode books. Oh, God. Who also got really pissed off whenever Colleen lied, even to save their lives. And I was so mad at him when I was reading that. That's a weird thing in Piers Anthony books. Like, there's a bit in Xanth, which I liked Xanth a lot as a kid. I don't think I can revisit it as an adult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, also... Also, I should have been upset with him because he was a 30-year-old man who was romancing a 14-year-old girl. But when I was reading them as a 14-year-old girl, I did not, it didn't realize how weird it was. Now, as an adult, I'm like, Darius, is someone keeping an eye on him? Yeah, like, I mean, again, looking back at a lot of the Xanth books, I'm like, I don't actually think this is something I should have been reading at that time. Although, to be fair, I think the only way you can enjoy xanth if you're not a bad person is if you read it when you're pretty young there's a lot of really inappropriate relationships in that but xanth also continues the thing of like if a character makes a promise they can't break it or like characters can't use deceit Mm -hmm. you know because that makes you bad even even god there's there's see i don't have problem when it's like fairies in stories that have fairies and they can't lie because they are a different race which is fundamentally incapable of lying yeah and i don't mind it in like red dwarf where the robots can't lie um but then robots right because robots and then when lister teaches Crichton how to lie it's almost like a superpower because he can lie and other outsiders don't know that he can lie like i'm okay with it in both of those But anybody who treats it like a thing where they're somehow better than you because they don't lie to people who are actively trying to kill them, that's annoying. 
Well, uh, there's a character, one of my favorite characters in the Xanth books was uh, this guy named Gray, mm-hmm. who was like, his parents were refugees from Xanth. He lived in like the mundane world for most of his life. And when he came to Xanth, like he found out that he has this magician level talent where he can null out magic, Uh huh. which is like game breaking in Xanth. Sure. But it turns out that in exchange for refuge out of Xanth, his parents made a deal with this giant evil creature where they swore him feel uh, they swore fealty to him. And since they're not in the country anymore, the giant evil creatures like, okay, your parents swore this to me. Now you have to do it. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I have no choice but to serve this giant evil creature because of a parent because of a promise my parents made. And I was like, okay, there's being honorable and there's being stupid. Right? Ugh. I'm sorry, Farscape. We were talking about Farscape. So the blood trackers bring Dargo back to their lair where they and John and Aaron were earlier. And John has managed through apparently an extraordinarily high bard role <laughs> for them to make them believe that... He's just tracking Dargo, and that everything they saw was not what they thought it was. Because Dargo's like, John, I can't believe that you've betrayed me after all these months of us working together. Or he calls him Crichton, and they're like, Crichton? He's like, yes, my name is Butch Crichton. And presumably, off screen, in between that scene and this one, he was like, he's just trying to trick you because he knows I've been tracking him. I know you come from a culture without lying, but Dargo learned to read a goddamn room. <laughs> right? So the blood trackers decide they're going to torture him into telling them where the rest of the crew is. And they cut his tentacle, which... Yeah, not great, right? Not great. And the blood comes out black. So John explains the whole till the blood runs clear thing to them. Yes. And they're like, um, why do we care? Because we're going to kill him anyway. And, and John bluffs and says, well, Chris said that we had to bring them back alive. Oh, I guess that wasn't part of it. That was not part of the beacon. So John's like, well, I saw a different beacon on another planet that you've never heard of where my girlfriend lives. Don't worry about it. My girlfriend on the planet Canada told me. <laughs> the thing is, she's like kind of famous over there. So that's why she doesn't have a Facebook that you can see. So because John is a good bluffer. Hmm. He manages to convince them, but not quite enough because they want to see him torture Dargo before they will uh, believe him. So John does and conveniently uses this particular torture to cause Dargo enough damage that the blood begins running clear. Yes. Which, like, I, I know it's bad. Torture is bad. But, I mean, Dargo's really mad about this later. Like, he didn't try to kill John just because he was horny. He did do that. That's true. That's true. Also, this torture makes Dargo pass out, which makes sense because it, it, it's all happening on his tentacle, which I assume is a very sensitive place for Luxons. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, sympathy pain. Yeah. Meanwhile, Aaron is ch- kind of just chilling around uh, Furlough's office. <laughs> I like that you said chilling because... This is kind of chilling for Aaron, which is yelling at a tech to hurry up with the tech. She's like, we need that spaceship. And Furlow's like, yell at me more. See how much that makes me move faster. It's interesting that she doesn't have to deal with the heat thing on this desert planet. I was thinking about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. But Aaron sees somebody messing with the ship, and she realizes that they're trying to pull out the information that is stored on the ship. And when she goes to confront them, it is not one of Furlough's workers. It is a bounty hunter. An, an additional bounty hunter out looking for, you know, these people. I do kind of love that she's like, Furlough, you betrayed me. And then the guy wangs Furlough in the face. Yeah, so Furlough's workers have like full face coverings. So he was just pretending to be one of Furlough's workers. I like that they did not make her a like Lando style, I sold you out. It's just, you know, sometimes people sneak in dressed as waiters or mechanics. Yeah. It's what happens. So Aaron fights him for a while and then ends up getting knocked out. Knocked out and also literally outside. Mm. So she doesn't have the goggles on and now she is blind. Yes. Luckily for her, Furlo is fucking awesome. Yeah, Furlo like manages to hop up behind the guy and take him out with her like giant wrench. It's awesome cuz he's about to he's about to kill Aaron. He like picks up this thing and he's about to, you know, crush st- Aaron. Crush her to death. And Frollo just, like, wangs him on the back of the head. And she's like, so, you're blind now, huh? Sucks for you. Also, Aaron's like, who was that kind? Frollo's like, I don't know, he's dead now. God, I love Frollo. It makes you, like, it gives you a realization of what her life must be like. And she must be just a badass 24-7. I would watch a Frollo spinoff. I, you know, yeah. I would, it would make a great TV show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like a taxi. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> anyway, back on the ship, Zan is torturing Rigel by, like, walking up behind him and and telling him that she's naked even though she's not. Okay, I honestly love Zan in this scene. Hilarious prank, Zan. <laughs> he seems genuinely afraid of seeing her naked, though. It's weird, right? Like, like I can see him being annoyed by it, but... He's, like, really prudish this episode. Yeah, and she's like, ha I'm wearing clothes. And he's like, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. She asks him where Dargo is, and he tells her that Dargo's down on the planet, so. And she's like, unfair. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't even orgasm from sunlight. She's like, great, an excuse to go back onto the planet. <laughs> oh. And back on the planet, Aaron is talking to Furlo, who tells her that she shouldn't worry. She's definitely going to recover and get her eyesight back. Definitely, probably. Probably, maybe. Definitely 60% chance. Like 60-40. Oh, God. Poor Aaron. So, the two trackers smell Xan landing on the planet. I mean, okay, it was ridiculous when they smelled Dargo. But Xan is, like, in heat right now. I'm sure non-trackers could smell her land on the planet. God. Just saying. So they go out to get her, which would be really easy because she lands on the planet and then immediately just falls down in orgasms. Yeah, I know. I, I she's like, she's like, well, I'm going to go get Dargo and John right after I lay out here for just, just, just one minute. Just, just two, two or 20 minutes. There's no good reason for anyone to come down to the planet. God, I know, right? John- also, aren't planets big do they do they know the general area where the ship landed they do know the general area we skipped over it but but when john's module was you know falling apart 
He briefly spoke to Rigel, and Rigel told him specifically which mechanic to go to on the planet. Ah. So they all know where everyone is. Okay. Complaint retracted. So, back in Furlough's shop, John has shown up to check on his module and discover that Aaron is temporarily blinded. And John's like, what happened? And she's like, another bounty hunter came and ripped off my goggles and threw me into the sun. She says that she's fine, and he tells her to stop acting like a badass peacekeeper. And she's like, ex-peacekeeper, actually. Speaking of Furlough being completely wasted in this episode, Mm -hmm. when she says that, Furlough kind of, like, looks up, like, wait, peacekeeper? But then that's never followed up on. You're right. You know what? You are right. Furlough is, like, 100% wasted. This is a thing I don't usually get mad at, because, as I said at the top of our episode, I usually skip over this one. So I haven't seen enough of her to get annoyed at this. But man, you're right. They should have brought her back. They should have brought Namtar back. I'm okay with Namtar's resolution. That's, I'm fine with that. He was a cool puppet. A weird puppet. It was a cool puppet. I'm 10,000% sure that whoever designed it definitely took it home afterwards. Are, Are you saying that it awoke something in someone? I think it was more the end result of something that was awoken in someone before designing it. Oh my. It's a lot of luck. I feel like you are you are sullying the good name of Brian Henson, but the Happy Time Murders already did that, so. God. You know, I hadn't really thought about this before, but... I mean, the Happy Time Murders, the movie Brian Henson, like, it was his passion project to have a movie about ejaculating puppets being gutted i mean that's just like daddy issues the movie right oh yeah it's a freudian nightmare god i don't think it speaks against brian henson's legacy that namtar as a puppet exists it's a very cool looking puppet it's just also it would be popular on certain parts of the internet yeah so in this episode (laughs) So getting away from the Freudian nightmare that is the Happy Time Murders. Yes. In this episode, Dargo is awake in the Blood Tracker's lair. Dargo manages to break out of his bonds, which, convenient that he can do that now. Yeah. Way to not whip that out earlier, dude. Meanwhile, in the desert, the trackers are trying to track Xan, which you'd think would be easy considering she's just laying in the sand writhing, but... mm. Right? Like, what the hell? Although I think perhaps, despite the joke I made earlier, the implication is that once she starts absorbing the rays, she stops smelling? Yeah. Like, when she starts being overcome by the pleasure of sunlight, she glows and suddenly they can't smell her anymore? I guess? I mean, that's that's not the way that usually works, but... I don't know, maybe she's putting out some sort of weird, different pheromone. I mean, I guess the pheromone must be... I guess I guess her, her photogasm pheromone is different enough from just her normal scent. Anyway. Sure, why not? Anyway, Dargo's free from his chains, and now it's time to fight off John, who's walked back into the lair. Yeah, he's all like... How dare you? You betrayed me. Uh, now I'm going to kill you with the sword that you brought. 
like, it was nice of you to bring my sword so I can kill you with it. And John's like, Jesus fucking Christ. I know. I know. And this is where, as I said at the top, John finally, like, calls him out on it. He's like, dude, I was putting on a show for them. And Dargo's like, you only care about saving your module so you can go home. And he's like, I didn't cut off Pilot's fucking arm, you psychopath. Good continuity and accurate. Right? Oh, man. And John and John points out, as you pointed out at the top of the show, that he saved him so many fucking times. And Dargo's just, like, so aggressive at him. And Dargo's acting like it's it's one of those really annoying things when you're having an argument with someone and you're making all of these points and the other person is just ignoring all of their all of your points. If you've ever seen Ben Shapiro debate anyone, that's what Dargo reminds me of right now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the only point that Dargo really has, which is a bad point, is that he's hostile to John because John looks like a peacekeeper. And he hates oh, peacekeepers. You know who else looked like a peacekeeper? Your wife. Well, like you said, there's probably some sexism mixed in. Although, wait, not, not, because Aaron definitely gets this, so it's not that he has a different view about peacekeeper females. So, yeah. Anyway, John is finally like, how about this? We're not going to be friends. I know I came here with, like, a Star Trek idea of what the universe was and thought we would be friends, but how about we just be allies and you stop attacking me. And Dargo's like, all right, I can do that. And, okay, I like this moment. Because John puts out his hand. And Dargo's like, I don't understand what you're doing. And John tells him, it's a human custom. Two men shake hands to show that they're not holding weapons. And Dargo puts his sword down. Actually, he doesn't put it down because he's still Dargo. He sh- moves it to the other hand and shakes hands with John. I like that moment. I just... Dargo's whole thing is cutting off his nose to spite his face. And, uh, I, I, I just, maybe he gets better from this point, but I hate him so much. I know you do. He's my least favorite character by a lot. I know he is. Like, God, you don't constantly get in trouble and then yell at the person who's always saving you. I mean, Dargo, Dargo's essentially like a sulky teenager. And it's funny because, you know, they brought up in the first episode that he's essentially an adolescent. He's barely out of adolescence. And your dislike of him reminds me a lot of your dislike for most of the annoying child characters on TV shows we watch. He's worse, though, because he's an adult. Like, at least with Dawn, you can be like, well, yeah, she's 13 and she just came into existence last week. Anthony Simcoe is an adult. Dargo is essentially still a teenager. Who got married and had a kid. That's the kind of planet it is. It's a planet written by Piers Anthony. No, I'm going to cut that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you shouldn't. Okay, I'll leave it. (laughs) But it's very annoying. It's just, it's so annoying. Do I have that with the kid characters? Yep. I mean, I know I didn't like Henry when he first showed up, but... it's kind of the opposite with Henry. Where Well, I mean, Henry was an annoying child. And then once he was like, once he was a teenager, they were really writing him more like an adult. He was the most mature person in, in the room, usually, in any scene he was in. Yeah. And also, it's not fair because if we're talking about annoying child actors, this is like the pinnacle of annoying child actors. But Fuller House. Oh, 
Max and Fuller House. Yeah. You're right. Max and Dargo are the same character. Also, you hate the twins on Best Friends Whenever. You're that's that's accurate. So yeah, you just you don't like child characters. To be fair, they're usually really annoying. Well, to to be especially fair, the twins are the comic relief. On a show that's already a comedy, what are we doing? Yeah, like Naldo is good comic relief in that. The twins are just a step too far. <sighs> it it makes me it reminds me that I'm watching a uh, Disney Channel original TV, TV show. show. Yes, but by the way, it's a really good. Disney Channel original TV show, so if you are inside looking for something else to marathon and you've already marathoned all of Farscape and you have Disney+, Plus, best friends whenever. The twins are bad, but the rest of the show is good. Yes. It's about two girls who can time travel through the power of friendship. Yes, that's what it is. So, anyway, back back in Furlough's shop, Aaron is like, are you messing with us or are you really going to fix the ship? And Furlow's like, I am going to fix the ship as, lo- as soon as the bounty hunters who are chasing you stop shooting at me and you stop pestering me. Like, how hard is this? And Aaron's like, okay, wait, but I have another job for you, too. God. Do you want the ship repaired or don't you? <laughs> Actually, her other job, the other job Aaron has is pretty good. But... Outside, Dargo and John, you know, have become friends now, just in time for them to get shot at by the blood trackers who have realized that John is just putting on an act and maybe they should, you know. Hey, this this show, this episode's vaguely a Western pastiche, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's about time for the big shootout that ends the uh, movie. That's, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, so, the shootout starts and... John and Dargo duck behind the craft services table? I mean, okay. okay. I think they might have been having some budget issues <laughs> on this episode. The table that they duck down behind, it, it happens so fast that you you could easily miss it. But if you actually look at it, what's sitting on top of the table is a toaster oven, and three cappuccino machines, and a bunch of coffee cups. It's clearly the craft services table, like, repurposed because they needed something for John and Dargo to duck behind. I love it. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, now there's a shootout. And it's convenient that Dargo and John are friends now because, you know, a shootout. Also, uh, it appears that John doesn't have the same light weakness that Aaron did because he kind of has his goggles on his forehead. Yeah, he moved them up. I-, I think it's not just that Aaron has a light weakness, but that she took them off at, like, the worst possible moment just as a solar flare was happening. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. So, Dargo and John are working together, but they still have to argue a little bit about who chose this place to hunker down now that they're pinned down. And John offers to cover Dargo, and Dargo's like, that would be dishonorable. And John's like, but I'm the one who knows what to do, dumbass. God. It is funny. Even is, as a, is using basic strategy dishonorable, Dargo? Because he wants to feel like he is doing most of the work when it comes to combat. So for him, most of the work is being the one with the gun shooting. Even though I would think that being the one who runs out into the line of fire is the one doing the heavy lifting. But I guess it's just different ways of looking at combat. 
Okay, how do Luxons not get their ass kicked in every conflict they have if using strategy is apparently a bad thing for them? I mean, they kind of do. Good. So in the middle of the shootout, Aaron, God, I love Aaron so much. Aaron walks through the combat blind, (laughs) carrying the beacon, and just sets it up in the middle of the combat and presses play and shows Chris saying, okay, we had to go, so uh, wanted poster retracted. Bounty off. This, in a really weird way, reminds me of that scene from Rogue One. Which one? The one with the blind monk when he's walking through the... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a movie that's equal parts boring and depressing. Right? Yeah. Rogue One was not my favorite Star Wars movie. Oh, you mean you didn't like the movie where nothing happened for most of it and then all of the cast died? And they all died the same way but at different times? God. God. Explosion. 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 Just the last 20 minutes is the cast dying in a succession of explosions that are paced just long enough apart so you're like, I I thought we were going to do something else, but nope. You know what I do like? What? This moment where the blood trackers are like, wait, so if there's not any money on the line, is this, are they worth this trouble? And they decide, no, this is silly, and take off. Yeah, which... I mean, that was exactly Aaron's plan. And Aaron tells John that uh, she had the idea, but furlough reprogrammed the beacon. And she doesn't say anything, but you can see in her face that she's so proud at having come up with a strategy. Because normally she just shoots at things. What? Why is Aaron getting all of the good character-specific stuff the past few episodes? It's funny. I mean, John is the human who is in a strange... Alien world. Right. So John is the character that should be our intro character who we relate to, who takes us through this journey. But really, it's Aaron. Like, Aaron learning... To be human and open herself up to people is the actual journey we end up going on on Farscape. Maybe it's just because they're all standing around and like laughing and stuff, but the lighting looks kind of sitcom-y in the like wrap-up bit. I mean, I guess, but they're shooting on location outdoor, so the lighting is the sun. Yeah. So <laughs> That might be why. I mean, this is a show that usually has moody lighting, so it might be just because everything's so bright. Yeah, I'm not used to seeing these characters not in dark tunnels. Also, there's kind of a sitcom thing where then Zan comes up and is like, the flares are done. And they ask her how she knows. And she's like, believe me, if the flares were not done, I would not be standing right now. And then she lights up a cigarette. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like blows it off into the distance. So back at the auto mechanic shop. Yeah. Or the space mechanic shop, I guess. Yeah. uh, Furlough is finishing up with John Ship and she's like, you know, you could still sell this to me. And he's like, no, nah, I need it. It has all my special data on it. And Frollo's like, yeah, so how are you planning on paying me? Yep. And John's like, well, I don't have any money, but I've got food, food cubes. cubes. And Frollo's like, what? No. What? Hey, thank you for fixing my car. Here's a Big Mac. More like, thank you for fixing my car. Here's a granola bar here's a carton of soylent right oh yeah so furlough tells him that she will 
bargain with him and she'll just take the data that he's collected. So John says he'll make her a copy and she says, "Uh uh-uh, exclusive rights. You have to give me your copy of the data. And he's like, but then how am I supposed to get to Earth through a wormhole portal? And she's like, that really doesn't sound like my problem. And he agrees to give it to her and he figures, you know, I'll guess I'll go find more solar flares and make more data. She offers, she tells him, and and I like this about her, she's not a villain. She's like, you could stay here and research with me because that's what I'm going to be doing now that I have your data. Yeah. And he's like, no, I got to go because bounty hunters try to kill me. Although, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't be the worst idea. She could hide him for a little while. They'd assume that he was on Moya with the others. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, he tells her that he'll be back in five years when the solar flares are back. And and she tells him to stop on by if he needs any more repair work done on his crappy little module. And that's where we leave it. She shouts after him. She's like, you want it detailed? I can do that. It is a really sitcom last line to go out on. So this episode wasn't good, but there's also been way worse episodes of Farscape. Yeah, I mean, this is just like... The, the the alpha male thing was really annoying, but the furlough... Th- you see, okay, this wasn't a mediocre episode. This was an episode with one great plot and one cringy plot. And when you put it together, it's a middle episode. And honestly, ending with... Well, I, I mean, obviously they'd end with furlough. But ending with furlough is good because it makes me walk away from the episode with good feelings. That's true. Yeah, if they'd ended on the blood trackers being like, not worth our time, you'd have been like, ugh, this episode. Yeah, but Furlough was awesome. Just everything that didn't involve her sucked. Yeah. And just to do things a little bit out of order. Mm-hmm. Next time's episode is Rhapsody in Blue. Ooh, a Zan episode, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. The plot description is, Zan is asked to help an outpost of fellow Delvians attempting to avoid the madness that threatens them. Ooh. Yes. All right, so segments. Yes. So the first segment is a distant part of the universe. What alien thing did you like in this episode? What scene setting alien worlds building thing did you like? Okay, it's a very little thing, and I feel like they've probably used these contacts before. I feel like I've seen them before in other shows. I actually think they might be what Skip has in Angel. But I really liked the eye thing that they did with furlough oh the white contact lenses yeah she had white eyes the whole thing it really looked like this might have been someone who grew up on a desert planet and this is how one's eyes would adapt to living on a desert planet oh that's yeah i like that and i mean similar to that i really liked the uh even though they looked really silly they did look alien the goggles that everyone was wearing to avoid the solar flares oh yeah they were a really cool touch yeah yeah and, you know, so often on sci-fi shows, they'll drop people on biospheres that are completely different from Earth's biosphere, and everyone will just adapt to it fine. I like in this show that people don't adapt to every biosphere perfectly well. Which is funny, that's also a thing that Futurama, a show which is commenting about space shows, handles well. Yeah. Yeah. The gravity is very high on this planet. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. So our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, which puppet or costuming or makeup worked for you this episode? There wasn't really one. I mean, the there were aspects of the Tracker's outfits that looked cool, but 
the whole thing felt just so problematic that yeah well for me it was actually also furlough um i I know you brought up her contacts but her whole outfit is great it's it's both alien and familiar you could look at just a screenshot of that character and know she was the space mechanic yeah but also that she's a space mechanic not from earth that very dramatic sigh was from the dog who wants us to wrap things up (laughs) i guess we should do that with our final segment, just looking for a way home, which is which moments in the, which moment in this episode really spoke to you? There, okay, we did kind of skip over it entirely, but there is a bit where John and Aaron are talking about the peacekeeper's offer for her to be dishonorably discharged, uh-huh. and he's like, "You know that that's bullshit," and she's like. I know that a dishonorable discharge for me will mean a space bullet in the back of my head and being thrown into a pit somewhere. But, like, even the thought. It was nice to think for a minute that I could go home. Although, honestly, that didn't really. I mean, it was a good moment, but the I, I think probably my standout moment was her walking in slow motion blind through the bullet fire. That's an amazing moment. Because I I literally do feel like Rogue One ripped that straight off of this. And it was much cooler here. Yeah. You're going to start to see more and more moments that are like, huh, other science fiction shows were watching Farscape. Farscape, it feels to me, is like the sci-fi show you rip off if you don't want to be accused of ripping off something famous. There's even a joke about that very thing in Stargate. About Farscape. (laughs) I will play you that moment in Stargate when we've gotten far enough in Farscape that all the jokes make sense. All right. Uh, For me, the moment, I know it didn't work for you, but it really worked for me, was when John and Dargo shook hands. Mm. I, I, I liked that moment. And maybe it's because, you know... Spoiler alert, they do become friends. So maybe for me, it worked because I know that that's the start of them becoming friends. Until the cartoon episode where Dargo tries to kill John. There's a lot of stuff going on in the cartoon episode. But I think that does it for this week. All right. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you can head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> <laughs>